Front office, please hold. Hey, Jet. What up? Did you hear why Bill and Melinda Gates split up? No idea. She heard he was Microsoft. I absolutely hate you for doing that joke. <laughs> Nothing is good about this show, and it has just gotten worse because of that intro. If I could not listen to this conversation that we're currently having, I would do that. I would unsubscribe from our present conversation. Considering that you don't subscribe to any conversation that we have, nor listen to this podcast, I mean, it doesn't really matter, does it? Well, you got me there, Kyle. <laughs> uh, welcome back, everybody, to another fantastic week of the Front Office Podcast, brought to you by the Smoke Shack and BTP Smokehouse. Um, thank you for everyone who joined us last week uh, on our discussion revolving around Draft Day, the movie. Um, obviously, we broke down another Front Office Film Critics. And uh, we, uh, we gave a couple of takes based on what we expected for the upcoming NFL draft. So before we get into anything this week, fellas, anything stick out to you from uh, last week's uh, or last weekend's NFL draft? Quinn Miners was robbed. Absolutely should have been top 10 pick. Angry that he fell to the third, but he's on a good team. And it's okay. Fear the belly of the beast. All I'm going to say. Man. So speaking of that, that initiative that he started with uh, with those shirts, um, I mean, good on him for doing that. And anybody who doesn't know the story behind it, he basically um, created a, a shirt to raise money for a, a close family friend of his. Who, I think it's battling cancer, right, Kev? Yep. Yeah. Anyways, he created this shirt saying Belly of the Beast and has a cartoon version of him with his, uh, with his jersey lifted up. And uh, I think that it's going to do very, very well and raise a lot of money for uh, for that family. So good on good on Quinn, and I mean, good to see him uh, get drafted and uh, pursue his NFL dreams too. So, Jet he obviously to, he got drafted to Philly, right? No, Philly? Denver. Denver. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's joining a young and talented Denver team. Should be uh, should be interesting to see how he fits in there. But uh, especially when Aaron Rodgers gets there, oh boy. <laughs> oh god man that's kind of like the new you know soap opera is waking up to see who's gonna say what about the you know the aaron Rodgers green bay situation now hilarious uh, i'd like to, see, to hear jeopardy's take on that it. you know who's happy about all the attention about rogers right now yeah jeopardy Watson. <laughs> well he's like they ain't talking about me yeah well i i think that Deshaun is uh, waving bye bye to 2021 at least. Um, I don't think we're going to see him on the field this year. So again, bigger fish to fry in his regard, and uh, we'll wait and see how that thing plays out. But uh, yeah, so Jet, from your perspective as a San Francisco fanatic, what uh, what are your thoughts on their takeaway from the weekend? Hey, you know what? Can't hold anything back. So I'm I'm okay with them. Like you remember how I felt about it last week? I was just like anyone but Mac Jones. I knew that, but I knew that they weren't going to pick Mac Jones because Mel Kuyper said they were going to pick Mac Jones. So I knew for a fact that they wouldn't, but I love like his, his potential is through the roof. 
What? And but <laughs> there's, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work. Also, there's a lot of work also through the floor. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I I, I have faith in Shanahan. I'm still I'm still a little. Uh, it's still a little bittersweet because we we gave no, keep up. talking. I got to kill a spider. It's on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Because uh, we gave up a lot to get him. I missed. I missed the thing. Uh, <laughs> oh, I missed again. Oh no, it's angry. Oh come on! I don't know where it went. <laughs> And this is this is how superhero movies start. Oh my god! Just so we're clear, I use my superhero comic book to kill it. <laughs> Take that, Spider-Man! <sighs> That's gonna come across great in post-production. DC oh. for life. Um, but yeah, oh, I, I mean, Jet. I think that Trey Lance was the ultimate lottery ticket. You 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 buy it, hoping that the numbers are gonna pay off, and eventually. You know it's gonna it's gonna make you into a millionaire, but you know at the end of the day, did you did did you just buy the ticket to throw it in the trash when the number doesn't come up? Like that that's the odds that San Francisco playing right uh, San Francisco is playing right now. So uh, we'll see. I mean, it was a very bold you know bold move to trade up that high to take him. I think that you know everybody just assumed that it was going to be Justin Fields or Zach Wilson based on who the Jets were taking at two, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's got everything in front of him to succeed. Let's just put it that way. Good head coach, good system, good running game, good offensive line, solid weapons around him. So he's got everything he needs. Now it's just up to him to put in the work to really you know, achieve that potential that he's got. So um, I will say, though, I'm still very disappointed with the Niners because they took Trey Sermon instead of Chuba. Yeah. I You're not mad. Very upset. You're not mad. You're just disappointed. Oh, it's like a parent talking to you. you know? like, <laughs> I was very disappointed. I was very disappointed. Yeah, and, and you know, big shout out to uh, to Canadian um, Chuba Hubbard for uh, for being drafted by the Panthers in the fourth round. Um, again, I think that his skill set matches very well with what Christian McCaffrey brings to the table already for them. So. Carolina's got a pretty deadly one-two punch in that backfield, but yeah, I I know you and I were talking about it a bit, Jet. I uh, I th- I thought that he was the perfect fit in their zone scheme because of what he ran in college. Um, but again, you know, look at what Trey Sermon did the last you know two months of the season last year. You know, the guy's an absolute horse. So you got some speed guys already in Mostert and uh, and the the, the kid uh, Hardy that you brought in last year. Now you've got somebody who can come in and be that, you know, I'm going to drag a couple of defenders left, right, you know, to uh, to kind of take uh, take the offense to another level. So we'll see. I mean, obviously we won't know until down the road. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, if, as far as, you know, my takes on it, I think from a Pittsburgh perspective, we almost got Derisaw. <laughs> we, we almost got him. You know, the tea leaves almost fell exactly how I wanted it. And I know, Kev, you and I were watching it together over Zoom. And uh, I think both of us were kind of shocked that he was still there at 23 when Pittsburgh was about to pick at 24. Um, and uh, of course, the Vikings, uh, you know, did uh, did them dirty and, and picked them. But um, hey, Najee Harris, 
by all intents and purposes, was the top running back in the uh, in the draft, and I think he reminds them a lot of what Le'Veon Bell was able to bring to them for a number of years. So, if you can fix the offensive line, and then you got a back like that in Harris, I think that that can uh, that can help the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers win earlier um, earlier than later. On that note, let's uh, let's talk about something else that's uh, that's in the news here boys and uh i don't know if you guys have seen you know we talk about soccer you know quite frequently but have you guys seen what's going on with manchester united right now and their fan base so yeah they're doing what all good fans should do absolutely (laughs) revolt and dethrone a front office when it's brutal i'm waiting for listeners to finally dethrone this podcast to be 100 honest (laughs) i wasn't even sure what happened i just uh you know, being the gambling de- degenerate that I am, I put money on the game and then I just saw that it was voided. And I was like, what the heck happened? <laughs> what does void mean? Do I win? No. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking, but no, not so much. Yeah, like, I was thinking about that. How crazy is that? That the fan base is rioting against the team that they support until that's they get rid of the owners. <laughs> it's insane. And, and you know, I, I haven't take read Take notes, Sens fans. Yeah, take notes, Sens fans, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to storm the Capitol. Um, yeah, I, 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 I understand that Man U's taken a bit of a dip in recent years, and I think that anyone who's, who's been a fan of them would say that it's not really what they're used to, right? Because Man U's used to being like the big boy in the block there, they're going out and buying players. They're they're winning every year. They're competing in the Champions League. And you know, by all intents and purposes, they they've been passed by a lot of different clubs in the Premier League. Um, one of them being their bitter rival. Spider. Man, Kev's is living in an absolute cesspool of spiders. My face really dark and cold. <laughs> those of you, those of you who can't take that bitch. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Oh, uh, so we, we made Kevin go down into his old cellar that, uh, that I've been was, three spiders zero. Yeah. That was once a bomb shelter in the 1940s. So who knows what's down there? And, uh, uh the Kev- reason for it is we had a leak in the basement. I had to cut away the drywall. That was like a month and a half ago. And I haven't put the drywall back together. So they just have like an open revolving door. Just be walking around my kids toys and biting things. So. Well, that's not there'll good. be more spiders. I got to kill tonight, guys. Really sorry about this. Let's keep a tally. So, so Kev's up to three spiders during the show. So, let's see how many we can get to by the end. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, any fan base that's that's looking at this, I mean, obviously, I think they're getting some ideas now, saying, "Well, this is all we have to do. We just have to pretty much just revolt against the team that we've supported our entire life." And uh, and yeah, you know, we'll see what happens with it because I mean it's obviously not a safe situation for the players to uh, to go out on the pitch and play. It's not a safe situation for the coaching staff and it's definitely not a safe situation for the ownership group. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. And I mean, at the end of the day, if the Glazer family has to, has to sell it in order to, you know, keep the peace in, uh, in Manchester, then I think that ultimately that's probably what they'll have to do. So, um, stay tuned, everybody, because I think this is just the beginning of uh, of this crazy, crazy story evolving every day. Um, so, uh, so, Kim, can you break it down? Why are they so angry? 
I think they're angry because one, they're not as successful as they've been in years past. And they're blaming the ownership group because they're Americans. So I think they're blaming them because they're not, you know, uh, they're not English. The, um, this is this what I, I read briefly. I didn't really look too much into it, but I think that they basically hold a grudge against the ownership group because they don't care about the success of the team because it's worth like two point whatever billion dollars that it's worth. Yeah. So they're just worried about selling tickets and making money. But the fan base obviously wants a winning product because that's what they're used to. So I think that's where the discord really, really lies. But yeah. can you imagine how many teams across the globe would be in that same boat with their fan bases if they cared that much about winning that they would just overthrow the stadium that they play in? Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see this be a regular occurrence. Like, can you imagine Jets fans, for instance? Jet has, he doesn't have any fans. Jet, yeah, right. Our jet doesn't have any fans, but the New York Jets, the J E T S Jets, Jets, Jets. Um, yes. Can you imagine what their fan base would do based on all the hardships that that ownership group and front office has put them through? Drafting a tight end in the first round two years in a row, passing on Warren Sapp. Think about everything that that fan base has had to endure. They haven't won a Super Bowl since 1960. They had Adam Gates as their head coach. That would be enough to. They hired Adam Gates as their head coach. Exactly, that'll be enough for. Like, I wanted to revolt, and I'm even. A, I'm not even a Jets fan. Um, we're gonna have a full episode based on just people that we hate in sports, and I think it's mostly gonna revolve oh, around gonna Eugene Melnick for Kevin, Adam Gates for me, and yep. D Ford for uh, for Jethro. <laughs> D Ford. Oh, D Ford. Oh my yeah. God. Are we going to talk about people we don't want on our team anymore? Oh, yeah. We'll definitely get there. <laughs> but um, anyways, I digress. Um, speaking of people that we don't want on our team anymore and people that we hate, this is a good segue into, you know, a very hateful version of the front office podcast and, you know, really talking about people in sports that we really don't want to be on our teams anymore. So I'm going to kick it over to uh, to my man, Kev with another installment of Grinding Beans. Grinding Beans. So Kev, I see that you have a new mascot for your Grinding Beans segment. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, my kids like this show called FGTV on YouTube. This you is the character. This is the character, Bag of Beans. Bag of Beans is going to help me talk about what's really grinding my beans today, Kyle. I think it's what's grinding everyone's beans because the decision was announced today on uh, the lack of any kind of disciplinary action worth noting from George Peros and the, uh, and the NHL. Um, well, if, you, if you're not clear on what happened, Tom Wilson from the Washington Capitals decided to uh, uh, attempt a murder against uh, Panarin or Timmy Panarin uh, from the New York Rangers. If you watch it, the close-up of the, the best angle it, it almost looks like he uh, he's using his stick to, I, I guess you could say, break and compress the uh, cervical spine of Panarin and pushing his face into the ice while also punching him in the back of the head and the side of the head, basically doing his best to really hurt him. Not This isn't, and Panarin's completely helpless. He, he's kind of caught in the crease. He's been pushed into it. He falls over. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. pulled over at the same time as falling over. Uh, and Wilson's really given it to him. He's given him the business, but not in the, in the good way. Um, it's just like really uncalled for. It actually looks almost torturous. 
Like you, you feel you feel a sense of helplessness when you see it happen, seeing it happen to uh, Panarin. And then um, who was who jumped in? Puskovic. Uh, Puchnevich. Puchnevich. Yeah. See, I'm not the best with with uh, Russian dialect, but uh, he's like 160 pounds soaking wet, flies in to try and help his buddy, who at this point is helpless and just having pain given to him uh, in a very cheap, dirty fashion by Tom Wilson. And then Tom Wilson absolutely ragdolls him. I mean, he's, he's double his size and, and he's tough as nails. Uh, ragdolls him, throws him to the ground. Um, I don't know what the prognosis is on an injury, but I had heard shoulder and concussion at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, it looks awful. He goes down without a helmet. And you could see Wilson trying his best to drive him head first without a helmet into the ice, yeah. which could have been way worse than it was, but his shoulder takes most of the blow. Right. To anyone seeing that, either you watch it live or you watch the replay, you'd have to think there'd be a suspension, probably uh, at least a three-gamer. I mean, even at least a one. I'd even be okay with a period because it would be better than what they've done so far. George Peros, in a very cowardly move, uh, decides that uh, they're going to give him a $5,000 um, fine, which is actually the most you can give under the CBA for a, for a single infraction. So he gives him a $5,000 fine. Not in any way effective, right? Because uh, uh, Panarin, I think both players, are out for the remainder of the season for the New York yeah. Rangers. Yeah. So in, in, in one vile, vicious act, he takes out two uh, players to the New York Rangers for the remainder of the season, and Tom Wilson walks away with a $5,000 fine, okay, which is in no way disciplinary. It doesn't set any precedent. It doesn't tell other players not to do those things or, or at least create a bit of a deterrent. If anything, it's, it's actually so ineffective to the point that I would say George Peros has to retire or resign. And that's actually what the New York Rangers have just released a statement of, demanding yep. that he resign for being ineffective at his role. I agree with that, and I support that. And you know what? Maybe they put a call into Manchester United and see if those guys are free the next few days to maybe storm the offices of the NHL, because that was uh, that's despicable, both on Tom Wilson's part and on the part of the NHL. And I almost feel what's worse is the NHL not giving the suspension as opposed to the act. Cause sometimes people make poor decisions on the ice. He's a repeat offender. So he's obviously not the best in those scenarios and a bit of a dirty guy. Um, it's on the NHL to control that. And they failed to do so. And he'll do it again. And it'll be on the NHL when someone else gets hurt. I would liken this to a McSorley, Brashear, Bertuzzi situation. This is above and beyond the regular roughing that you see in hockey. Uh, you know, hockey could be a bit of a dirty sport at times. This is way, way out of bounds um that's what's grinding my beans as well as mr bag of beans here <laughs> well kev i i agree with you on that I, I mean you you said it in the middle of your segment tom wilson's a repeat offender and anytime you have a repeat offender based on the letter of the law that comes with any sport for that matter the the suspension the punishment is ob obviously supposed to get more severe as you go so Tom Wilson's had a couple of multi-game suspensions already um, in previous, you know, in obviously recent years, and this is probably one of the. This is probably a lot worse than what he's got suspended games for. And you look at what he was doing. I mean, Artemi Panarin is one of the best players in the league, right? You talk about you know the NFL all the time wanting 
to protect their superstars, like wanting to protect quarterbacks and keeping them upright and not having these dirty hits that, uh, that are going to take them out. You know, hockey is one of these sports too, that's very reliant on their top players. You know, like the Connor McDavid's, the Sidney Crosby's, like you've got a lot of these guys who, who are really the face of the league and you want to build your brand around. And Artemi Panarin, by all intents and purposes, is that in one of the most hockey-centric markets that they want in the States, in New York. And now he's gone for the rest of the season in the middle of their playoff push. Um, and who knows if he's going to be back in time for the playoffs. If that's, you know, you don't know. And what does Tom Wilson get? He gets to keep playing and he gets $5,000 off of his check. So he's not even really worried about that because 5000 bucks to him, you know, not really, not really anything. And for a guy like George Peros, who played in, you know, played in the league for a long time, he was an enforcer. You know, obviously he played a really rough and tumble brand of hockey. You, you Ivy would, League educated. George Ivy Peros. League educated too, like so very smart. But you would expect him to know what, because again, his job was to go out and protect guys like Artemi Panarin when Tom Wilson would pull this kind of stuff. And for him to look at that situation and say, you know what, let's just give him a fine because it was a roughing penalty. Well. That's not good enough. So what's so what's the next guy going to do? You know, is he is some guy? You know, some guy going to get a stick in the face? You know, he's going to get speared. Is he going to get kicked? Like, you look back at you know a lot of these situations that have come up. And Kev, obviously, you're you're a Sens fan. Like, we'll talk about what Matt Cook did to Eric Carlson. Like, was there intent there? Maybe. Could you prove it? Probably. But again, that was you know, one of those gray areas where it's like, yeah, you know what? They're going into the boards. Could he have, you know, maybe checked his footing? Possibly. But, again, based on the reputation that Matt Cook had leading into that, he was vilified, right? You look at Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson's kind of in the same boat, and this was 100%. You know, he was the aggressor. He knows Artemi Panarin's not going to pose a threat to him in any type of physical combat. So, but the, you know, the fact that he threw him on the ice recklessly without a helmet, one, is terrifying because, again... What happens if he smacks his face on the ice? What happens if he hits the side of his head on the ice? What happens if he hits right. the back of his head? What happens if, you know, as he's doing that, someone comes by with a skate and kicks him in the head? Like, yep. there's so many things that can go wrong in that scenario. And then, you know, then, then where do you go? So you're 100% right. And, you know, we were talking about it earlier today. I mean, obviously the brand of hockey has changed from, you know, 15, 20 years ago to where it is now, where you don't see a lot of fights. You don't see a lot of these line brawls that are happening. You know, people always want to complain that they're taking hitting out of the game or taking contact out of the game. Well, you know what? There's still a place for it. And this is why you need guys like a, you know, again, I won't, I won't use Marty McSorry because you're using him in your you know contradictory argument, but you know, you look at what happened when um, you know, Wayne Gretzky first came into the league. He had three guys on his roster that if anyone touched Wayne Gretzky, they'd have to answer the call and you know deal with one of these guys. So, like, one guy I'll bring up is Dave Semenko. So, if you ask anybody, Wayne Gretzky said, you know, I was only as good as I was because of guys like that. Because if you touch me, then you had to go through him. And, you know, for me, as a former hockey player, seeing that, I think my role would have been to go and take care of Tom Wilson because of that and have him answer the call for, you know, touching, you know, the top player on the team. And I think, realistically, because that's not an option anymore, you can't have those situations where you're just, in, you know, in, inciting fights. 
the league has to come down with harsher discipline. And that's, that's just the, the reality that they've created by taking a lot of this stuff out of the game. So when you get a situation like this, George Peros needs to look at the situation and say, okay, they couldn't answer it because then we're giving them instigator penalties. We're giving them match penalties for jumping in and citing a line brawl. And it's almost like you've created this monster and you need to fix it by, you know, dishing out these heavy suspensions. When a guy like Rafi Torres gets suspended for 40 games for throwing a hit that by all intents and purposes 10 years ago would have been legal. But now you get a guy like Tom Wilson who's throwing guys on their heads and getting a $5,000 fine and no suspension. Like it doesn't make any sense. So be consistent, be concise. And if you want to get control of things, you need to make the changes necessary in order to move forward and move the league in a proper direction. Yeah, man. I, I, to be honest, I was actually watching it while Kev was talking about it, and man, like he he could have paralyzed the guy. Yeah. Like, like that was that was horrendous. Five thousand dollars, a five thousand dollar fine for almost paralyzing a guy. Yeah, man. I, I'm I'm trying to understand a lot of these things where he's more like again. I'm more I'm more of a watching football guy. Like that's kind of who I am, and it makes me think of. Uh, I forget his name, but the guy who hit Andy Dalton and then nobody came to his defense last season when the guy concussed. Was it Bostic? Um, yeah, I think it maybe was John Bostic. Yeah. Yeah. Like just absolutely like the guy's sliding feet yeah. first and then just takes him out. Yeah. And then his teammates don't come to his defense. Yeah. And then he, he should have got that. Did he get suspended or he just got fined? No, he just got fined. Same thing. Yeah. Like, how are you expecting to clean up a game, you know, filled with cheap hits, whether it's hockey, whether it's football, if you're not finding these guys heavily? You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. Like, are they going to go finally go, oops, my bad, if Tom Wilson actually would have paralyzed someone? Yeah. You know what I mean? And the thing is, you're also creating a sense of hubris here where, you know, the, you're, the if the guy knows, well, whatever, I could do whatever I want, I'm just going to get fined. Yeah. So I could just do whatever I want. No biggie. Yeah. It's 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 taken away from the game. And again, I appreciate physicality in a game. Like my one of my favorite players to watch growing up was freaking Scott Stevens. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. you, you you skate across the middle with your head down and it's a wrap. You're, yeah. you're scrambled eggs. Yeah. But but he wasn't cheap. He wasn't like putting people's faces into the ice. Yeah. He was made, he was just a clean, hard hitter. You know what I yeah. mean? So I could appreciate that. But th- this has no place in, in the sport, man. It's disgusting. And that's coming from a dude who can't skate. <laughs> so so when I see that, I'm just like, man, that that's that's horrendous. I, I there's nothing else to say other than that's just reprehensible. And Paris should be ashamed of himself and he should get fired for not doing his job. Like it's ridiculous. You know, we got gotta queue up the old Vince McMahon. Uh, meme for this one, yeah. you know, the you're fired, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Does he still have that stupid mustache? Paros, I think so. I think uh, that's part of his part look. Of- it's kind of like you know, if uh, you know, Troy Polamalu were to cut off his uh, his hair, well, that should be part of his punishment. <laughs> part of his punishment, shave your mustache, George. Shave your mustache. <laughs> you can keep your job <laughs> if you only shave your mustache. I'm not going to say this again, Mattingly. Shave those sideburns. <laughs> All right. So needless to say, I mean, there's, there's a couple of guys who we're going to be dealing with some injuries to take care of for the rest of the season. And uh, 
you know, uh, what better way to maybe segue into, uh, you know, getting some people who might be on the same boat and with their injuries and rehab and injury prevention. And uh, we'll get another installment of Constantly Improving going. Ew, 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 ew. So, um, what I want to talk about today, real quick, um, whom we were talking about uh, a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about Champions League players and everything. He sat out the second leg, no pun intended, of uh, the Champions League semifinal uh, today against Man City, which they lost uh, because of a calf injury. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is, well, not that they don't realize, but soccer players or soccer players or players who are constantly running in, during a sport are much more susceptible to soft tissue injuries, such as calf injuries or um, hamstring injuries. Now, when you're running, uh, when you push off of your foot, there's what that is what we call plantar flexion. Okay, and in order to plantar flex your calf has to contract. So if you're doing that over and over and over and over and over again, as you would do in a running sport, like for example, when they show um, the running stats for a Champions League game, when someone gets subbed off, they'll say this person ran 15 kilometers or the equivalent of 15 kilometers. So if you run and your muscles are constantly contracting that way and you do not take the time to stretch out those muscles, your body will be very angry with you. And we have to keep in mind that the body wants to keep contracting if you've been running that much. If you don't stretch, it's like you're not turning off an off. Well, it's not like you're not flick. It's like you're not flicking the off switch for the muscles. So they just want to keep staying stiff. That's what they want to do. They want to just keep contracting. So the next time you go to run, when you plant, that tight muscle now gets uh, stretched out in a position where it wants to stay stiff and you sit out the second leg of the Champions League uh, semifinal. So, you know, foam rolling is nice. Uh, Theraguns are nice, but you got to make sure to incorporate stretching into your uh, regiment because let's be honest, you don't want a guy who's getting paid 20, 30, 40, 50 million euros to be out with a calf injury why are you so red because i'm trying to hold in the laughter let you finish your segment please please finish please continue no i'm done i'm done i'm done okay so much of what you just said was just triggering me for laughter because i don't know how many times you said you need to stretch it in order to make it stiff should you stretch it at all to make it stiff what if it doesn't get stiff after I stretch it? Should I be worried? <laughs> what, if, what if it stays stiff for more than four hours? Should I consult a doctor? No, call Stop, stretch. Stop stretching immediately. Do they sell pills that stretch it for you? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. You're going to get canceled. Listen, listen. You have to give me props for not laughing one once during that whole segment because I was, trying, I was trying to hold it in as much as I could, but... Um, <laughs> Jed, I'm sorry, man. Every time you talk about your segment, there's always some type of sexual innuendo in there that triggers our like you know 13 year old minds. That, anyways, 
Um, oh, this is a Wendy's. Oh, <laughs> this is a Wendy's. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, going back to a, you know, going back to the point, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, Kylian Mbappe can't, you know, he, he can't be on the sideline, right? He cannot be on the sideline. So if it comes down to, you know, making sure that he's ready to go or, you know, rushing him back on the field, you got to make sure that he's ready to go because you're not going to pay people that much money to, uh, to just have them, you know, tear something and be out for a long time. Yep. Um, all right. So we're going to get into our topic of the week here, fellas. And, uh, you know, I, I think that for most sports fans, when you ask them what the most exciting time for them, other than watching their team in the playoffs or in the championships, what it would be, the majority of them would come back and say, I love the trade deadline. I love when my team makes a massive move during the draft for trades. And the reason for that is because obviously it's captivating, right? It's, it's what, it's, it's the, what could be versus the, what is, and that's obviously what most fan bases you know, really rely on is the hope, right? So obviously with, with the draft being this past weekend for the NFL, we saw a lot of big moves and we talked about, you know, the 49ers, Jethro a little bit earlier, moving up to, to take their future quarterback at number three, but paying a really heavy price in, in getting rid of all, uh, a lot of their, their future assets. So, what we're going to analyze, and this is going to be the first of a two-part series. And tonight, we're going to analyze the art of the deal. So what goes into a trade? What has to happen for two teams to you know, complete a trade in any sport? Um, you know, how do we negotiate and how do these GMs negotiate when it comes to, I want this player and this pick for this pick and that player? You know, how does that happen? So... Again, I think that this is a very unique topic to speak about because there's so much that we can, you know, that we can go into based on opinion, based on facts, based on history. And I mean, it spans across every sport. So we can really just analyze it from a whole broad perspective. So maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll get your takes on it. So, you know, in, in your minds, guys, there's, there's a couple of, you know, schools of thought when it comes to making trades. And, and the first is, you know, do I stand pat or do I make the trade? So again, GMs have to look at this as, do I really want to, you know, uproot everything and ups, you know, risk upsetting what we currently have if we're on the fence or we're having a really successful season so far by bringing in somebody who has to learn the system, has to learn, you know, the, the names of all their new teammates and coaches um, and really has to adapt to the new city that they're coming in. And then you might be shipping out somebody who, is a fan favorite, is a player favorite, is a coach favorite. And again, those are all the things you have to weigh. So what, give me your takes on what do you think is more important? You know, do you think it's more important to evaluate everything and to stand pat if you're having a successful season? Or do you think it's more important to say, you know what, I want to really want to give, you know, my team that jolt that it needs by bringing in a player. I just, I just think it depends on where you are in the season. You know what I mean? Like if you have... I don't know. Trade deadlines, what, week six? The NFL, it's week uh, week eight, I believe. Um, maybe it is week six. Can't remember. Um, but yeah, like, so basically, like I was saying, you have a trade deadline in every, you know, every four of the major sports in North America. Yeah. I, think, I think that, excuse me, as you get closer to that trade deadline, um, you know, if, you're, if your team 
for example, let's take the NFL because that's what, you know, just a bit more familiar with. If Let's just say it's week six. And going into week six, I'm four and one. I have good chemistry. I have, you know, some good stuff going on. I could, I could see making trades for depth. Um, but I, I feel like also you'd have to look at your schedule moving forward and say, like, can does the team I have, you know, are they good enough to ride out and continue to have success looking at that schedule, right? Or else you, some, some, some listeners that we are friends with might not like that I'm going to say this, you might be a fraud like the Bears. You know what I mean? You could start off the season and be, you know, look like gangbusters. And then after that, it's like, you know, to, to, to quote Eminem, snap back to reality, you know? So, <laughs> so um, I think it depends on where you're at uh, record-wise in the season and then just looking at the rest of your schedule. If you think that challenges are ahead, because you have to, you have to play chess, you can't play checkers. If you see that you have a, so many cliches, I there is a Jethroism right there. Play chess, <laughs> checkers. That's how I roll, man. That's how I roll. Play chess, <laughs> not checkers. So if you see that moving, like in the in the next couple of weeks, you're gonna play some very challenging games, and you need reinforcements, then make the deal. If you think that the squad that you have is will, will continue to be successful even facing those challenges, then you stand pat. You know what I mean. Don't be like me in fantasy football where you just make <laughs> trades because you're just you're just unhappy with your design for whatever reason for with no rationale. In, in a real world setting, if it's gonna make your team better, do it. If not, just stay the way you are. Well, like the Cheryl Crow saying goes, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Oof, that's well, slow. <laughs> you see, if you stretch it real long, it gets stiff. So that's the biggest issue we face here. Yeah, but I'm glad that I'm not the only one who is challenged about that and finds that absolutely hilarious. Pretty certain this is why this show exists. I'll try so we, to we can get our jokes in. In everything I do. Um I'm going to echo some similar sentiments and I'll use an example. You think about the Sens, um, go back to 2018. They are now, um, what, a couple months removed from going into double overtime against uh, in game seven against the eventual Stanley Cup champions. They are having a hell of a run at the beginning of the NHL season that year. And uh, they're about to go on a trip. They're going to play, uh, I think it was Sweden they went to. You're going to play a seven-game series uh, in Sweden or seven games in Sweden. And uh, they make the mistake of trading for Matt Duchesne. And I think everyone remembers that as being a great trade. Hey, this is what they needed. Melnick's finally spending money. And all it ended up doing was exposing um, the issues that were in that locker room, the issues that were with the team. And we really saw that the team we, in, in playoffs the year before was riding on an incredible hot streak from, at the time, probably the greatest hockey player on the planet, the way he was playing. And unfortunately, that was on his last little bit of um, health, right? It was in Eric Carlson. But yeah. you look at that trade, and everyone was happy to see them make this trade. I was too. And then that trade was just the start of a rebuild, right? And the locker room fell apart. It wasn't much longer um the you know the season went down uh the old crapier 
And then the following season, Matt Duchesne's caught on camera in an Uber making fun of uh, one of the assistant coaches. Then he's traded off, and and you look at that trade in particular. It was it was drastic. Now, can you blame it all on that trade? I don't know that you can, but I think all three of us would agree that, that sometimes what's going on in the locker room is very much like an ecosystem and one little thing can throw it all out of balance and it starts eating itself. Right. And then that happens. And uh, you know, when you, you think about a team on whether or not they're going to make a big trade, you know, why they're going to go and get a player, you have to think unless there's a major injury and you are on your way to something and you don't have someone waiting in the Raptors to take over and, and keep the continuity of the success you're building, uh, then, yeah, I guess you have to go out and trade for someone. But if you're winning, it's the old adage of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, uh, you know, I use the Philadelphia Eagles when they win the Super Bowl as a great example. Team is is on fire. Carson Wentz is in the MVP uh, uh, conversation. Then he gets injured. Nick Foles steps up, tears it up, right? Goes, takes the team to the Super Bowl, gets a Super Bowl MVP, outplays Tom Brady, right? That's an example of, do you really need to make a trade, even in the most dire of circumstances? Now, that was past the trade deadline when he does go down. So they yeah, couldn't yeah, if they yeah. wanted to. But that, that, to me, proves that before you make that trade based on injury, give the guys that are waiting, that have been putting in their time, the chance to prove themselves. And that's what I think a trade takes away from. The guys that have been putting their work in and you don't hear about that are waiting for their name to be called a trade kind of gets rid of that. So for me, unless there's a major injury and you aren't confident in the people that are there to step up, uh, when someone goes down, you don't make that trade. I think the off season is the time for trading and that, that should be the focus of, of GMs and front office personnel is regrouping in the off season, usually before the draft. Yeah, and I mean, that's the toughest part about, you know, your evaluation process. And that's why you have pro scouting departments in, in all of your organizations because you really need to do your homework if you're going to shake up your roster, even if, you know, you're struggling a bit and you want to just give them a little jolt. If you're, you're being successful and you want to, you know, give them that extra piece like you're talking about, Kevin, you know, one small thing can just disrupt everything that you've built over the last, you know, five, six years. And that's, that's how easily it can get, you know, it can get taken away. So, you know, any GM will tell you they don't sleep, you know, when they're mulling over trades because it just eats away at them. It's like, what if this happens? What if that happens? And what if I don't make this deal and he goes and torches it with another team who you trades for him or her. Right. And, I think that is what really separates the great GMs from the guys who just get a job because they're, you know, the owner's nephew's friend from college, right? You get these guys who maybe just, you know, like Jethro's talking about making moves because he feels uncomfortable in fantasy football and he just, he feels more comfortable making trades. You get guys like that and they're just, you know, that's what they think is, is a successful formula is I'm going to go and I'm going to make trades because I just, I need to like constantly be, you know, doing something. Whereas you have other guys who they sit on their hands too much and they refuse to make a trade. And again, they may lose a lot of momentum that, you know, their team is building and, you know, it's that one. And that's again, the fine line you have to walk. So I think the thing that comes down to it is, you know, obviously the, 
the agreement that you have to come to when you're making a trade with another team and another you know another GM is what's the return? You know, ultimately, what are you getting back for what you're giving away? And you know, you look at a lot of trades that happen. Most of them are going to include a top player going to a team, you know, who's going to get back one or two young assets who have potential plus a pick or two. Those are the typical trades you see in, in all four of the major sports. So, you know, where do you guys lie on the mortgaging the future for short-term success? Because obviously you can mortgage the future for short-term success all you want. And that's great because obviously you're there to win. You're there to, you know, win championships and to sell tickets, you know, or do you have a plan in place where it's like, you know, I'm going to make this move because this makes us better five years from now. And I'm going to get back, you know, X amount of picks, these two or three young prospects that, you know, could pan out to be very, very good. And that changes the entire complexity of, of your organization as well. So, you know, where do you guys stand on the, you know, win now or build equity by gaining assets? Uh, you know what? The, the, the issue with the win now um, idea is uh, sometimes you get very wealthy owners thinking winning now means spending more money, right? And, uh, you know, the push from fans and fair weather fans is to always spend money. Even though I can't stand them, Eugene Melnick has had a point a few times over the years of it's not about just spending to the cap as a small market team. They have had times where spending the cap would not necessarily have made them more successful. Um, so I always keep that in mind, but a great team to think of on how they structure themselves for the future in five years from now. Think about a team like the Patriots. You look at their dominance for the last 20 years, really, right? You put them in the category of well, 18 years. They were a dominant force to be reckoned with. Yeah. In those yeah. 18 years, again, it goes down to what they did in the off season, what they did in the draft and they built their team. And when it was time, they went and they got free agents and it looks like they did that this year, which is interesting because I didn't know that it was time, but uh, you know, they, 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 they strike when the iron is hot. So when they see an opportunity for, for winning and they see free agents that are going to bolster their team immediately, they go and do it. And it's funny because as soon as Tom Brady goes to another team, that team goes and does the exact same thing and picks up free agents and signs retired players with them. Um, that uh, that are immediately going to either add depth or another threat that defenses are going to have to cover. Um, for me, that's how you're supposed to do it, right? If you're going to mortgage your future, um, you don't do it all on one player. I don't think you do it all on draft picks either. I don't think you dra you give away draft picks to get a guy. Sorry, San Fran, poor decision making, in my opinion. But I really don't think it's a good idea to trade away depth, right? A second or a third rounder might not seem as important as a high first round pick, but second and third rounders are most typically the ones that stick around on average longer than some of these flash in the pan, uh, really impress people at the senior bowl and combine guys that go in the top 10. So you, you look at a team that goes and grabs someone, in, uh, you know, a high first round draft pick, whether it be a quarterback, or whatever, and it doesn't pan out. Think about the players they lose out on in the second and third round for the next few years, right? To get that pick. Um, you know, you always think about that, the New Orleans Saint trade. 
right from back in the day. I was it Ditka who really, really wanted um, Ricky, Williams. Ricky Williams. Yeah, Ricky Williams. Yeah, let's just let's sell everything. Let's give everything to get this one player. And to me, that's foolishness. Um, you can only strike when the iron's hot. And I think, you know, really good front office crew and a really good coaching staff can tell you how close you are to winning. Um, but listen to Bill Belichick. He said it this past year. We spent a lot of money. That's why we signed Cam Newton for a million dollars because we wanted to win Super Bowls and it worked, but now we're paying for it. All right. So even a team like the New England Patriots that were around for so long dominating, they're feeling the pinch of some of the decisions they made for the most recent run at three Super Bowls. And the problem with that is, sorry, I know I'm going on for a while on this one. The problem with that is New England, unlike many other teams, has probably had the same front office personnel for the last 20 years. Unless you're, if you're going to give a guy five years to make a plan, you better give him 10 because it ain't going to take five years for you to really see that success. And if I'm a guy who knows my contract's three years, I'm not worried about mortgaging the future. I'm worried about me mortgaging my future. I got to make sure that I win something in the next three years. That's why I think you see so many teams fall on the wayside because they don't stick with the front office personnel and guys are worried about losing their job. So they got to make decisions. We saw that in the movie Draft Day, right? Kevin Costner, Fonte Mack, no matter what. But he almost went with Bo Callahan. And that was a non-real-life scenario. But that's my take on it. Strike when the iron's hot. And only your coaches in front office together can make that decision. Um, but other than that, I don't think you, you wager your future unless you've got a guy who's willing to be there for the next 20 years. I don't, think, I don't think you mortgage your – I think the only time you mortgage your future is – if the other pieces that you have are on the tail end as well, like if that window of, of winning opportunity is closing, then maybe you mortgage your future. If you have a bunch of young studs, a bunch of young pieces, it's like, for example, right now, we've, we're hearing in the news a lot about um, Aaron Rodgers potentially going to Denver. Do you mortgage your future when you know you have – you just drafted Patrick Sertain. You have Cortland Sutton coming back. You have Jerry Judy. You have a few pieces on the O-line. You have a couple of young guns, uh, you know, flying around on the defense. Do you mortgage that in addition to picks? I don't think you do because you have, like, those guys are going to be, are potentially going to be around for a while, right? If you had, like, if you had a team made up of guys that were like a Vaughn Miller, who have been in the league for a while. If you if you still had like a Chris Harris at DB, if you still had some 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 guys that were at receiver that were getting a little bit long in the tooth, yes, in that case maybe. Oh, I want to get Aaron Rodgers. Okay, I'll give you Drew Locke and and some first rounders or whatever to get Aaron Rodgers. But other than that, I don't see the point because after that, like what you're you're stuck in a rebuild. You're stuck in a rebuild after you won instead of having like consistent success, you're like, okay, well, we won a Super Bowl or we got close to a Super Bowl and now our team is going to be crap. We're giving away all these high draft picks because our team is now trash. And then by the time you get back, you know, you, you've had, you've, you know, created a losing culture for the last couple of years and you're trying to get it back. Yeah. And, and I think you guys are making you know, very good points on, on, on both sides there. And, you know, Kev, you, you brought up an interesting one with the New Orleans Saints-Washington uh, football team trade back in the day when they you know traded their entire draft class for Ricky Williams. Um, 
you know, in that scenario, you got to think that both teams lost that deal, you know, and, and the reason I say that is interesting because, you know, to give up an entire draft class worth of picks to get one player is obviously a foolish, you know, um, you know, a foolish venture. You're, you're basically putting all the pressure onto one player to say, Hey, you're the reason why our team's going to turn around and, you know, here we go. But if you're going to trade and get all these assets back and you, you, you give up the opportunity to draft a, you know, a once in a generational talent that was viewed at the, at the time, like a Ricky Williams, you'd better be good at drafting and identifying players. Mm-hmm. So here's the, here's the interesting part about that trade. So Washington gained an additional six picks with that selection. You want to know how many starters they got out of that draft one. Wow. They had 12 draft picks to use, and one of them ended up starting for them. So, again, you know, and it's kind of like one of these things where it's a trade tree because that one guy was a very good player, Champ Bailey. So, you know, but again, you trade away, you know, the potential to have a once a generational talent to accumulate all these draft capital and utilize these picks to build your roster. But then if you're not good at drafting, then there's no point in making that trade, right? So, but again, I, I said the trade tree because eventually Champ Bailey was traded to Denver. You guys know who came back in that trade? Clinton Portis. Clinton yeah. Portis and a second round pick came back to, uh, to Washington. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how, you know, Ricky Williams ended up turning into Clinton Portis. Um, you know, it, it's, again, it, it's a very, you know, very interesting way to approach things. And especially when you have to weigh, where are we in our situation? Are we close to winning? And, you know, will this one trade move us to the next level? If not, do I want to make a trade to move somebody out who maybe I can't sign in the off season is going to want too much money. So that way I can, you know, really build my roster the way that I want to. So I'm going to trade him away to get more assets back and build my team that way. I mean, you look at what Oakland did now, Las Vegas, but look at what Oakland did with Khalil Mack. They knew that he was going to require a huge salary when it came time to sign his new contract. So before that happened, what did they do? They evaluated it and said, what are we going to do and what's going to make us better long-term? Signing Khalil Mack to a massive deal and maybe see his game regress halfway through that contract is done, which obviously we're seeing happen right now. Or do we trade him to maximize his value and get the most back that we can and utilize what we're getting again? And I, I, I say it again, drafting well and identifying the talent to build our team. And when you look at what, you know, Oakland slash Los Angeles slash Las Vegas Raiders have, have been able to do with, you know, kind of moving around. And, you know, a lot of their picks come under scrutiny, but I mean, they're building a culture there. And if you guys watched the Raiders play last year, they're not that far away. They're really not. They've got a pretty good roster in tow. And I mean, they've got guys like Josh Jacobs from that trade from Khalil Mack. They've got guys like uh, um, uh, Henry Ruggs from the trade with the Mary Cooper. So, Again, it's evaluating where you're at versus evaluating where you could be. And if you can find the fine line in between to say, we can have short-term success, but also maintain the success long-term with this plan that we have, you're going to be a successful team. And that's the difference between being a great GM and not. And I mean, we bring up, you know, football all the time, but I look at, you know, um, you know, I, I look at a couple of franchises in the NBA 
that, you know, have had that long-term success. Like you look at San Antonio, San Antonio has been a great team, you know, forever, it seems because they've been making smart moves. They trade when they need to trade, they bring in players that they need to bring in and it gives them that extra boost that they need. You look at, you know, the NHL team like Detroit for the longest time, they had a run of like 26 consecutive years when they made the playoffs. That's insane. And why did they do that? Because the only time they were trading their picks were to get guys like Brett Hull or to get guys like Robert Lang or to get guys like Brendan Shanahan. Like they're bringing in these top level guys who are going to add to what they currently have. And again, it all just depends on what your locker room is like. Because if you have a strong locker room, you can trade for anybody that you want and they'll fit in. That's, that's what you really want from that trade. You know, Kev, you talked about the Duchesne trade. That's what happens when you have a weak locker room and your leadership group isn't there to really take control of it. You trade for a guy like Duchesne who maybe doesn't have a very strong work ethic, comes in, and it just, you know, emphasizes what you're lacking in the room. So, again, that's the, the really interesting part of what these GMs have to do when they're making trades. And it's not as black and white as, well, this guy is a better player than what we currently have, so let's get him in here. There's psychological evaluations there's physical evaluations there's educational evaluations you know all of this needs to come into play when it comes to trading for somebody because you can trade for somebody who on paper fits every need that you have but his wife hates living in the place that they're going to be living in Mm -hmm. and guess what that guy's going to be coming in and asking for a trade next year because he doesn't want to be there because his, his family's unhappy again that's the the beauty of of the trade market so um, you know, we, we can talk a little bit more about this. And this is why I wanted to have a two-part installment, guys, because I think that we can talk about this forever. So we can carry on this conversation next week. And I know that, uh, you know, we've got a few more things that we want to address before uh, we sign off. But uh, again, Art of the Deal, part one, you know, this is the, the trials and tribulations of a, of a general manager in the professional sports game. It's, uh, it's a fun conversation to have. And uh, you can really kind of feel it back and get a look at you know, what, uh, what these guys go through, what these guys and girls go through on a daily basis in, uh, in their role. Um, before we sign off, though, uh, a couple of things. So um, as we're recording, the CFL draft is, is happening right now. And uh, I know that I was talking with Jethro a little bit about it and Kevin as well. But there have been four guys from the Ottawa area who've been drafted so far in the CFL. So uh, just, again, you know, put our hands together for uh, – for those four gentlemen and uh, in their pursuit of uh, gridiron excellence. Um, I think it's and, uh, again, we'll hit on the weird weekly wager because uh, I want to, uh, I want to figure out who won last week and uh, who's, uh, who's getting what. What was the weekly weird weekly wager last week? We didn't have one. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, we didn't have one. So, um, I think quick interruption. We're actually at six Ottawa kids now oh, yeah? in the CFL draft. Yeah. Fantastic. So, there you go. Ottawa is, uh, is a football market, people. Um, all right. So, uh, here we'll make it a quick bet. So, Jet, you and I, uh, are up. Um, so let's just say, but is the what rounds the draft in, Kev? Uh, just starting round six, final round. Okay. Does the number of kids from Ottawa draft and stay at six? Yes or no? no. It goes up. Okay. So I'll go no. Or sorry, I'll go yes. Sorry. I'll go yes. So it stays at six and then you're at, you're at no. It goes higher than that. Yeah. Okay. 
I think we, I think we, I think we squeeze out one more. Okay. So there's our weird weekly wager for the week, and uh, let's. Um, I mean, you, all, you you owe me a Mickey. What else do you want to give me? There you go. So there you go. If you win, then uh, I'll get you two Mickeys. How about that? Hey, I ain't get that craft brew from you yet, Jethro. I'm gonna send you the monies. I, I'll send you some of my degenerate gamblings instead of buying. So it's double or nothing. Double or nothing. Yeah, double or nothing, Jet. If you win, I'll get you two Mickeys. If I win, we're square. Okay, that works. All right. There we go. Put it on the board for this week's weird weekly wager, and we'll find out tonight if one of us is the winner or not. So let's go. All right. So on that note, thank you again to the Smoke Shack and BTP Smokehouse for uh, for hooking the boys up with the delicious food again this week. Uh, anybody, They're the best. You, anybody wants to see what uh, what they can do, just check out our Instagram stories, especially Jethro's. He likes to really you know sexify it up with some music and you know slow motion interludes and whatnot with all of the things that they do. So, but go oh, support local. Too. Go support local. Go go um, go buy some smoke shack tonight and uh, and enjoy. Um, and on that note, boys, it was a pleasure. We'll continue this conversation next week and uh, dive deeper into the uh, into the realm of a GM and what goes into a trade. So, adieu, good night, and we will see you later. Later, bitches. Peace out. <laughs>